On this episode, Fear, Faith, and Apologies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 20, and today we'll be going over lesson 11 of the Abraham study. Last episode, we talked about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and how God rescued Lot and his family out of that, and then also how he had told them not to look back on the city. But Lot's wife did look back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And so we talked about how God can rescue us out of sinful situations and how once we are removed from that, we need to not ever look back. If you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen because it really just shows how merciful God is and how able He is to help us whenever we're having a difficult time helping ourselves. Also, we talked quite a bit about why we don't need to look back and focusing on God. So we pick up this week taking a look at what happened to Lot and Abraham after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So we're going to begin reading in Genesis 19.30, and we'll discuss Lot first. So it says, Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him. For he was afraid to live in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come in to us. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he didn't know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you will go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he didn't know when she had laid down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of Ammon today. So this is a very disappointing turn of events after the dramatic rescue that we talked about last episode. Obviously, these girls knew that what they were doing was wrong because otherwise they wouldn't have tricked their dad. And so apparently with the three of them being up on this mountain alone, they felt like they were the only people on earth. I guess they were just so afraid that they would never marry and never have children that they just got desperate. 
Seems to me if they would have said something to their dad, then he would have probably found husbands for them. But instead, they took matters into their own hands, as we all often do. And they did something that obviously never should have been done. And so, this is just a good lesson to us that we should never let our fears rule our thoughts and actions. If we're ever so afraid that we're thinking about doing something that we know is wrong or that we feel like we have to hide from others, then our very best option is to share our fears with others so that maybe they can see a way out that we can't. You know, a lot of times other people can see things that we can't because they're removed from the emotion of the situation. And it's really easy to let our emotions rule our actions. And without someone there to help us change that, then we can do drastic things. Also, obviously, it's most important for us to take our fears to the Lord. He already knows all of the things that we're afraid of anyway, and so it's best if we can just talk with Him and then let Him guide us, show us the way. If they would have gone to God, God very well might have brought a man to them. Oftentimes, we don't have to do anything but just go to Him, and then He takes care of the rest. And so that's very possible that that would have happened. But either way, they definitely should not have done what they did. And so both of them got pregnant by their father and both of them had a son. Now notice that Lot did not do anything wrong because Lot was completely unaware of both of these circumstances. And it clearly states that. And so just as God did for Sarah and Abraham when they took things into their own hands with Ishmael, he still takes care of Lot and Lot's children, even though they were not following God's plan. And so later, whenever the Israelites, whenever Abraham's descendants go on to possess this land that God's promised to him, God tells them to leave the land alone that is the Moabites and the Ammonites land because God has given it to Lot's descendants. So we're going to look at that real quick. That's in Deuteronomy 2, 9 and 2, 19. This is Moses giving them instructions on what they're to do whenever they get into the promised land because he is not going to be able to go with them. And so in Deuteronomy 2.9, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And then down in verse 19, it says, And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot. So God takes care of Lot's children and gives them possession in the land, along with Abraham's descendants. And this just shows the grace and mercy that God has for His people, even when we do not place our trust and faith in Him, and we make bad decisions on our own. So just remember that if you are beating yourself up about a sin that you may have committed, something that you may have done that you know was taking matters into your own hands, and you knew it was wrong when you did it, know that God has ability to redeem that situation, just like He did here. If God can still redeem reward the children of these mothers that slept with their father, for goodness sakes, then he can redeem whatever situation is going on in our lives. So now we're going to move on to Abraham and see what happened to him during this time. So we're going to start in Genesis 21. It says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. 
Now Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister, and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of this woman that you've taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she, even herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So first of all, we see that Abraham and Sarah did not learn anything from their previous deception with the Pharaoh in Egypt, which is also disappointing. But God immediately comes to their rescue by coming to Abimelech in a dream. Now, I just want to say that Abimelech is the title of the king of the Philistines. And so this is not his name. This is like saying Pharaoh in Egypt. And so God came to Abimelech in this dream. And this is a really awesome dream because God comes to him in the dream and talks with him. And then he's able to talk back with God. And so God tells him that Sarah is Abraham's wife. And he says, I knew nothing about this. He said she was his sister. She said he was his sister. And if I did something wrong, I had no intention of it. And so we notice here that the first time Abraham says that she is his sister, but here we find out that Sarah herself even tells that she is his sister. And God tells Abimelech, I know that you didn't know that's why I'm coming to you. And that's why I didn't allow you to touch her because I was keeping you from sinning. That's pretty remarkable that God is so involved and so powerful that he can keep a man from touching this woman and the man be completely unaware that God is the one that's not allowing that to happen. Abimelech probably thinks it's of his own doing that he hasn't touched her yet, but it's really God all the time. He's not allowing that to happen. He's not allowing them to have the opportunity or he is making Abimelech feel as though he doesn't need to for some reason. So God is very involved even when we're unaware of it. And he's protecting Sarah again this entire time. So let's keep reading. Verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, told all the things to them in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom such a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And then she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. So, 
The first temptation is because Abraham has done this now twice, that this is common practice and that it's just a customary thing that we don't understand. And so he's not doing anything wrong. But obviously he is because in both circumstances, the one we talked about with him tricking Pharaoh in this way, and then with him now doing this to the king of the Philistines, we know that it's wrong because they are both very upset. And they're pagan kings. And they're like, why would you do this wrong to us? What have we done to you that made you feel that you could treat us in this way? We did nothing wrong and you have put us in such a bad position. And so we can't justify and say that by some misunderstanding on our part that this was okay for Abraham to do because even the pagans, those that are not worshiping God, know that this is wrong and they feel tricked and frustrated. So whenever Abimelech comes to Abraham, he asks him, what in the world were you thinking? Why would you do this thing to us? And Abraham said, well, I thought that you wouldn't fear God and that you might kill me so that you could have my wife. So I did this. And then notice something else. We didn't learn this in the encounter that he had with Pharaoh. But here it tells us that she actually is his sister, but she's also his wife. And so he feels like he's not completely telling a lie. Because she's his half-sister. But obviously he is right. Because he was telling them that she was his sister with the intent that they would also think, obviously, she's not his wife. And so this is the classic example of deception in my mind. Because he is actually telling the truth. We talked about this before whenever we discussed his betrayal of the Pharaoh in Egypt. But I want to go over it again in case you didn't listen to that episode. It was the very first episode that we did over Abraham. And it's back in Genesis 12 if you want to look at it. But this is what deception is, right? You can even be telling the truth and still be deceiving someone because that's what he does here. He tells the complete truth. She is his sister. Well, maybe not the complete truth. He tells the truth. She is his sister, but it is not the whole truth because the whole truth is she is his sister, but she is not only his sister. She's also his wife. And so we can be telling the truth and still be lying, still definitely be deceiving someone because by telling that truth, we still know what they think, right? We're telling them the truth, but we're leading them to believe a lie. And that's deception. When you lead someone to believe something that is not true, then it's the same as lying. It's deception completely. And that's what he does here. Maybe he's reasoned in his mind that because he's telling the truth that it's okay to do this, but he knows and we all know whenever we twist the truth and that's what he's doing. Deception is so dangerous because it's harder to pinpoint than a lie. We can prove the falsehood of a lie because there are clear facts, but whenever someone is telling you the truth, but leading you to believe a lie, then that's very difficult to prove. This is what Satan did in the Garden of Eden with Eve, and it's what Abraham's doing here. When we can compare our actions to the actions of Satan, then there's a problem. 
And so never let yourself believe that it's okay if you're technically telling the truth. If you're leading someone to believe a lie, then you are lying and you're following in Satan's footsteps. So be careful about those types of things. Okay, so let's keep reading. Verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now I want you to notice again that God is the one that is in charge of conception because he is not allowing any of the women to have any children until Abimelech makes this right with Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, there's two lessons that we can learn from this. One is from Abraham and the other is from Abimelech. We can learn from Abraham what not to do, right? Because he is just assuming that these people will not fear God and that they will kill him and take Sarah as their own. But he doesn't know this. He's just making assumptions. And obviously, these people do fear God because look at what he's doing to make this situation right. So he was wrong. His presumption was wrong. I always hate that when people do that, whenever they act on something that they're just assuming about me. You know, how do you know how I'm going to react unless you tell me? Your ideas about me may be wrong. Now, they may not be But then that puts them in the situation of, you know, if these people did not fear God, then Abraham does, right? Abraham trusts God. God has told him that he will make him into a great nation. He's already promised him a son. How would that work if Sarah was in Abimelech's house? He should have trusted that God had a plan and God was going to take care of them and just told the truth. You know, all we can do on this earth is what we're supposed to do. And then whatever happens after that, it's not up to us. It's up to God. If we do what is right and trust God for the outcome, that's all we can do. So he should have just gone in there, told the truth, done exactly as God would want him to do, and then let God take care of the rest. If our actions are righteous, then we can trust a righteous God with the outcome. You know, every time I've been afraid and I've been tempted to do something that I know isn't right because I'm afraid of what people are going to do, I always think... God's bigger than that. You know, if I do the right thing, then I can trust that God knows that. God knows my heart. He knows why I did it. And he's going to fix whatever is going on. He's going to take care of the people and what happens. But if I don't, if I go in there and I try to take matters into my own hands from a worldly perspective, not looking to God, then I might should expect a worldly response, which may mean that they find out about my lie and then I'm in more trouble than I was before or whatever. And so I think our very best bet is to just rely on God. Just do what it is that he would ask for us to do and allow him to take care of the outcome. And it's obvious that God can take care of the outcome, right? Look how he kept Abimelech from touching her. He didn't allow him to be with her. 
And so if he can keep Abimelech from touching her in an affectionate way, then how much more can he keep Abimelech from touching them in a violent way? It's the same thing, right? If God can keep him from touching Sarah, then he can keep him from touching Abraham and killing him. God has that power and ability. And so we just have to trust that. We have to trust that he has the power, he has the ability to intervene on our behalf. And yes, oftentimes, whenever we do take matters into our own hands, just as he does here, he rescues us out of that and redeems that situation, even though we haven't done it in the right way. But how much better would it be if he was rescuing us because we had done something right and not because we had done something wrong? Listen to this verse in Chronicles 16, 20 through 22. This is talking about the Israelites and looking back on it and saying, When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, God permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. That's what he did here, right? He rebuked kings for the sake of Abraham and his descendants. He told them, Do not touch my anointed ones and do not harm them. He did that. Abraham did not do that. Abraham's actions did not keep them from harm. Abraham's actions did not keep them safe. Because if they would have found out by some other means without God's intervention, they would have surely killed him. So it was God that kept them safe. It was God that intervened. It was God that rebuked the people. It was God. So he has ability to do so many things that we do not give him credit for. We have to just do what we're supposed to do and trust that he has our best interest at heart. He loves us. He cares. And he is able. The last thing I want you to notice is that is what Abimelech does in order to make this right. You know, it says he gave him all these animals and servants and he tells him he can live wherever he wants to. But then he turns to Sarah and he says, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver because I want you to feel vindicated. He wants everybody to know. Listen to this verse 16. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. He wants her honor to be preserved. He doesn't want anyone to feel as though she's done anything wrong at all. And so he is doing everything he can to right this wrong. And what's crazy is it wasn't even his wrong. He didn't even do anything. Abraham is the one that did the wrong. Sarah even But he is falling all over them trying to make this situation right. And that just got me to thinking that oftentimes when we do something unintentional to somebody, we assume we do not have any reason to apologize. I didn't hurt you on purpose. You know that that was not my intent. And so whatever, get over it on your own. But that's not what Abimelech does here. Even though he did this in a completely innocent way, He still hurt her. He still put her in a bad position. And so even whenever we wrong someone accidentally, we should do everything that we can to make the situation right for them, just as he did. Because here's the thing. Even if we didn't do it on purpose, they're still hurting. They're still upset. You know, do we not care? We're not saying that, you know, we're horrible people. 
He doesn't admit any wrong here. He just wants her to feel vindicated. We still need to do everything we can to help the other person feel okay about the situation. Listen to what Jesus says to the people in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. He says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What I notice about this passage is that it doesn't say if I have something against my brother. It says if my brother has something against me. If they are upset with me, then I need to go make it right for whatever reason. It doesn't say unless you didn't do anything wrong, unless it was an accident, then you don't have to worry about it. If someone is upset with me for some reason, then I don't need to give my gift to God. I need to go and make things right with that person before I come to the altar. Regardless if I did anything wrong on purpose or not, I need to go and make things right. It says, be reconciled to your brother. Do everything you can to make things right before you come back to me. That's what he's saying. And so there are times that we do everything we can and the other person is just not receiving of it, but at least we've done all we can. Then again, we just have to leave the outcome up to God once we've done all we can do. So after Abimelech gives Abraham and Sarah all these gifts, then it says that Abraham prayed for him and then the women were able to have children again. It says that Abraham is a prophet and usually a prophet speaks to the people on behalf of the Lord, but here Abraham is speaking to God on behalf of the people. And so really what a prophet is, is just someone that is a go-between for God and the people. And so that's what Abraham is able to do here. Again, even though Abimelech didn't know that he had done anything wrong, he still needed reconciliation with God for that because it was wrong, regardless if he knew it or not. Now, I'm going to skip down just a little bit because I want you to see what happens later on with Abraham and Abimelech. So we're going to end by reading chapter 21, beginning in verse 22. It says, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phichol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my prosperity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until now. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phichol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. 
So even after this interaction, Abimelech continues to be aware that God is with Abraham. And so he knows that if there's ever any opposition between them, that God will always be on Abraham's side. And so he goes to Abraham and asks him, hey, will you make a promise to me that just as I treated you kindly, you will treat me kindly and my family forever? Abraham swears that to him. And then they talk about a well that they were arguing over and they fix that. And he calls this place Beersheba, which means the well of the oath. This always reminds him of the promise that he made there with Abimelech that there would always be peace between them. And then notice that at the end it says, He called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So after this peace treaty is made, Abraham goes to God and praises and worships Him. So that's all we have for today. Feel free to email me. Let me know what you think about this episode. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. can also leave comments wherever you're listening. Make sure, too, to give me a five-star rating. Next week, we'll be talking about the birth of this promised son. He's finally here. It's a pretty moving passage to go through, so you don't want to miss that. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Thanks, and have a good day.